Amen, amen. We love the worship of the Lord together. We love to do it as a church family, and it's been great to have the kids with us, but you are now dismissed to go to your class and praise. <laughs> We're a family. That's my kid. <gasps> I, I, we, we, I say often, we like it when you talk back, right? That's great. So praise God for an interactive church. That's, that's awesome. And so God is good all the time. And so Praise God for how he's moving in our church. And whether you're here for the first time or, or you've been here many, many times, we're just so thankful that you're here. You are wanted here. You are loved here. And whether you're joining us here in person or online, uh, we're excited that you are here. We're going to continue our series in the Gospel of John today. So if you want to get a head start, turn to John chapter 6, the tail end of John 6. Um, and so if you don't have a copy of God's Word, we have some available for you in the back. That would be our gift to you. We would love for you to take that, uh, read in it, read it, soak it up, and live it as we're going to see today from from this text, how important it is to our everyday life. But to start off, let's have a little fun, right? Who here has ever played the game Two Truths and a Lie? Oh, don't worry. You don't have to share anything right now. It'll just be, it'll, it'll be me because we want to build our vulnerability here, right? Okay, so we're, I'm going to give you three statements and let's see if you can guess which one is, well, not so true. Uh, the first one is this, is that I have ridden a llama and an elephant before. Interesting. Okay. Second one is I have been the public address announcer at an international sporting event, sports tournament. And the third one is this, is that I once intentionally committed a crime in college. All right. <laughs> I feel the love. <sighs> so if you think one is not true, go ahead and raise your hand. Uh, which is I've ridden a llama and an elephant. If you think two is not true, I've been a public address announcer at an international sports event. Raise that hand. And then, ooh. Number three, I, I once commit, intentionally committed a crime in college. Raise your hand. Ooh. Oh, I, I appreciate your, your belief in my, more, my morality here. Uh, here's the truth. I've never ridden a llama before. Uh, oh. Um, in India on a mission trip in 2012, I rode a camel and an elephant, but not a llama. Um, and in 2003, my summer job, when between junior and senior year of college, I worked for the governing body of US lacrosse in Baltimore. And my job was to help run an international lacrosse tournament that was 2003 U19s uh, that was hosted at Towson. So we had men's and women's teams from all over the world, U19s come in. And so it was a fun and busy uh, few weeks of which I also got to be a PA announcer. I was also a PA announcer in college too. Um, and the third one, I once intentionally committed a crime in college. I, that's true. Um, I praise God for his grace. Um, I, went to, I went to the undergrad at William & Mary, which is in Williamsburg, Virginia. And uh, in addition to academics and other things, it's a school of heavy tradition. One of the traditions there is there's a triathlon, if you're an undergrad, that you're supposed to complete before you are graduating. And that involves jumping into the murky waters of, of a body of water called the Crim Dell, which is a very historic bridge over it. It involves streaking in the sunken gardens, which is in the middle of campus. And it involves hopping the governor's palace north these walls. Um, I only did one of those three. It wasn't streaking, praise God. Um, but I did hop the, the governor palace walls for about five seconds before the person I was with said, we shouldn't do this. And we hopped back over. That person wasn't my girlfriend then, is now my wife. Um, but, but technically, technically that was trespassing, okay? Uh, with, <laughs> but praise God, I've grown since then. Um, and uh, thank you for your grace. But my question for you is this, is that it's sometimes hard to distinguish what is true from what is not so true. What is true from what is false. And, and you can sometimes just convince yourself and others that something you believe or even put out to be true is not so true. So my question for you is, if you, if you played that game and you made this statement, I am a true and authentic disciple of Jesus Christ, 
Would that be a true statement or would that be a false statement? Because we're going to see in the text today from John chapter 6 that there are people that call themselves disciples that are even others refer to them as disciples of Jesus that are actually not disciples of Jesus. And when it gets hard, when Jesus pokes and prods in those areas of your heart and life that we don't really want him to go, guess what these folks did? They turned away and they walked away from Jesus because they were not true disciples of Jesus. So friends, is that you this morning? When Jesus gives you a hard teaching or he asks you to do something you don't want to do, when he asks you to submit or surrender, do you follow as a true disciple or do you turn and walk away as a false disciple? It doesn't matter what other people think. You see, Jesus knows your heart. He knows the condition of your heart. He knows where you're at. And you can fool other people. You can fool me, your small group leader, your spouse. You can never fool Jesus. And we will all stand before God one day and have to give an account for who we are before Jesus. These folks that were false disciples that considered themselves disciples or others looked at them, the disciples had all the looks of a disciple. They sat literally under the teaching of Jesus, like literally. They received the benefits from Jesus. They got fed by the food of the 5,000. They walked where Jesus walked. They walked with Jesus. They walked with other disciples, but yet they were false disciples. They did not receive eternal life through Jesus because they had not authentically surrendered their hearts to Jesus. The text today is is encouraging, but it's also sobering. The reality that Jesus offers life, that his words contain eternal life. We're going to see Jesus say that, and we're going to see Peter affirm that. But just because Jesus offers eternal life doesn't mean that you receive eternal life, because you must believe in order to receive. You must choose to authentically follow and submit your heart and your life in a way that is transformational, that isn't just informational. And that's a life-changing distinction. The question is, have you chosen to truly submit and surrender, surrendering your heart to Jesus as Lord and submitting your life under the authority of the words of Jesus to live not your way, but Jesus's way. The offer is available to you today that the gift is free, it's eternal life, but the cost is clear and the need to make a decision is abundantly as clear. The question for you is this, that the text is asking and that Jesus is asking literally, will you follow? Are you following? Will you follow? If you choose to follow him down this path that is not easy, in fact, it's very narrow, you will receive life. If you choose the wide path of death, you will experience death and destruction. The choice is yours. However you arrived here, whatever you have done before you walked into this moment, life is available for you today. The question is, will you follow Jesus and receive it? The big idea for the word from the text that you'll see on your notes and on the screen is this. The words of Jesus offer me eternal life and they direct me in my daily life. They offer me eternal life when I surrender and they direct me in their daily life as I submit. The question is, have you and will you? Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Jesus, we need you. Jesus, literally this text talks about how these teachings are hard for our flesh. They're hard for our pride. They require death from us, but they give life to us because you are life. Your words are life. You are the pathway to life. And God, I just pray that in this moment, Holy Spirit, that you would speak. That nothing would come out of my mouth that is not from you and is not for you and is not about you. And Father, I just pray that you would open all of our hearts, mind included, to hear from you. That we would choose to follow you and receive and experience the life that you have graciously given us and paid to purchase for us. 
Holy Spirit, I just pray that you would do what you promised to do, that you would, through the words of Jesus, that you would encourage us and you would exhort us, that you would convict us and that you would compel us, that you would just bring us to a heart posture of surrender and exposing our areas of sin and revealing the beauty of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I just pray that we would follow. God, we love you. In your name we pray, amen. Turn with me, if you would, to John chapter 6. And we're going to look at verses 60 through 71. 60 through 71. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. And so, John 6. When many of his disciples, his being Jesus, heard it, they said, This is a hard saying. Who can listen to it? But Jesus, knowing in himself that his disciples were grumbling about this, said to them, Do you take offense at this? Then what if you were to see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? It is the Spirit who gives life, and the flesh is no help at all. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. But there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus knew from the beginning who those were who did not believe and who it was who would betray him. And he said, this is why I told you that no one can come to me unless it is granted to him by the Father. And after this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. So Jesus said to the 12, do you want to go away as well? Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. And Jesus answered them, did I not choose you? The 12, and yet one of you is a devil. He spoke of Judas, the son of Simon, Iscariot, for he, one of the 12, was going to betray him. This is the word of the Lord. Again, thanks be to God. The question from this text to us is this, is two parts, really. One is an evaluation. Second is a decision. The evaluation comes, am I authentically following Jesus right now? Looking into your life, asking the Holy Spirit to come and evaluate every nook and cranny. Am I actively following Jesus? Not in words, but in reality. And then the decision comes in, will I follow? From this point forward, wherever I am, will I choose to follow Jesus? No matter what I've done or where I've been, the choice is before you, eternal life is offered to you, abundant life is here for you to experience if you choose in this moment and going forward to follow Jesus. And there is a, an eternal significance of a one-time decision to follow Jesus that will secure you for all of eternity. But the life is not just eternal, but it's life abundant here on earth because every moment of every day, every decision that we make, honestly, isn't it a choice whether we will follow the words of God or not to grow in our sanctification. So the grace of God saves us through the life of Jesus, the words of Jesus, and it also sanctifies us. It's an everyday decision. So we're gonna see three questions that this text is asking us today. They're similar, but they're also different. Because Jesus has the words of life, the question is, will you follow? The first question is this, will you follow when the teaching is hard? Right here in the text, verse 60, this is a hard saying, the disciples, in air quotes, said. Will you follow? Now, as we think back upon last week, as we go verse by verse through the Gospel of John, Jesus' teachings from verses 26 through 58, which is what this, this is the heart is talking about, they were hard for many of his disciples to hear. And by disciples, again, Jesus makes the distinction between the original 12 that he called and then the rest. 
So the, one, the rest is who he's referring to with disciples right here initially. Now, disciple, what is a disciple? By definition, it's a follower. It's a student. It's an apprentice of a teacher, of a master, that you want to learn to become like your master, like the teacher. Biblically speaking, to be a disciple of Jesus is the lifelong pursuit in the same direction, as has been said by others, of becoming more like Jesus by the grace of God, for the glory of God, to live on mission for God, together with the people of God. It's a lifelong pursuit but it starts with submission. It starts with a heart posture of acknowledging and surrendering that Jesus is the teacher and I am the what? Student. That he is the master and I am the follower. It starts with surrender. Intentionally, willingly, on our own, the choice to surrender. Have you made that decision? Because how many of us are fighting Jesus for the position of authority in our daily life right now, right? I want to do it my way. That's not the posture of an apprentice, that's the posture of someone that wants to be the leader, the teacher, that you have it all figured out, that you want control. That's not a disciple. It's antithetical to actually being a biblical disciple. And then it starts with submission. Every day I will submit my life to the authority of Jesus and the authority of his word. I will choose to come under and choose to obey the words of God when I like it and when I don't, when I understand it, when I don't, when it's popular and when it isn't. No matter what, I'm going to elevate. It's a heart of worship. Worship is ascribing worth. I'm going to worship Jesus by elevating Jesus over myself, over my pride, over my desires, over what the world says, over what social media says, over what the crowd says, over what I think about it, what my feelings want to do about it, and I will follow, and I will obey. So when the teaching is hard when he hits you in your core, when it stirs up your feelings, when it's antithetical to what the world wants you to do, will you follow because the disciples that walked away made the decision not to because the teaching was too hard. It was too disruptive to their normal everyday life. See, to be a disciple about Jesus, we can't just talk about it. We have to live it. We have to, is your heart, a surrendered heart to Jesus is evidenced by a submitted life to the words of Jesus. In this text, we will see that a disciple, an authentic disciple is one who is wholeheartedly committed to follow Jesus and two, has genuinely confessed faith in Jesus. Genuinely, authentic, true. These words are going to come back, back and forth because many people will say, Lord, Lord, and Jesus will say, get away from me because I never knew you personally. There's a big distinction between knowing about Jesus and sitting under the teachings of Jesus and actually being an authentic follower of Jesus. And that distinction is a heart posture of surrender and submission. Now, why were these teachings hard? Well, first off, they, they got a little confused. They were trying to understand literally what Jesus meant figuratively. Like, Eat my flesh, drink my blood. What are you talking about? How do we do that? No, it's, it, this is not talking about carnivore Jesus or cannibal Jesus. This is talking about Lord Jesus, that our life comes from faith in Jesus, that we have to go all in. Jesus is our sustenance, that he is the bread of life, that there is no life outside of him, that I cannot thrive, let alone survive, outside of Jesus and the words of Jesus, that I must eat the word of God, consume it, love it, and live it. Now, even when they had to have more clarity on that, because Jesus himself says, Jesus knowing, verse 61, knowing in himself that his disciples were grumbling about this, is like, do you take offense at this? That offense literally means scandalized. Are you scandalized by my teachings? Because what? If you think you're scandalized by this, wait till I teach you about the Son of Man ascending to where you were before. If you, th- if you can't handle the fact that you need to go all in on my sufficiency and surrender, 
you're going to have trouble with me ascending back into heaven. You see, verse 63, it's not, it is a spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. He's trying to teach over and over and over again that he is their sufficiency. So even when they had confusion about it, it was hard. But even when they began to understand about it, it was hard. You know why? It was scandalous. It was anti-culture. It was anti-religion. It was anti their pride. It was anti their flesh. And it is for us as well. The teachings of Jesus are countercultural. They go against the social norms. They are paradigm shifting. You mean I need to live a different way? Yes, by definition, to believe in the gospel means the old is gone, the new has come. There's a new way of life. There's a new master. It's not yourself. It's our savior. Praise God for that. It turns the world upside down. It disrupts religious norms. Read Acts 17 when it describes the disciples who have gotten it by then. They, the people who have turned the world upside down are here also. Like It turns the world upside down. And it turns our hearts upside down. We know the reality of, from Scripture that the gospel in and of itself is the aroma of life to some and the aroma of death to others. Are you okay with that? So how is the gospel scandalous? How is this teaching hard? Well, and again, it's as scandalous today as it was then, is it not? It teaches that salvation is not through religion. It's through relationship. You need to get rid or throw away from a salvific point of view, clinging on to, you can't be saved by religious tradition. Again, he's talking about manna. He's talking about Moses. He's, he's hitting them at the core of who they are because their identity has been to religion. And he says, your identity no longer needs to be in religion. It needs to be in a relationship personally with Jesus Christ. You can't be saved by going to church. You can only be saved through a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And it's personal. Like you're, you're, whatever your friend, your spouse, your coworker, your person sitting next to you right now thinks about Jesus, they, that can't save you. You have to make the decision about Jesus. It's scandalous because it moves us from a works-based I do faith to a grace-based Jesus has done faith. From a posture of self-righteousness, it exposes our, I am righteous, I've done enough, to the Savior righteousness. Uh, oh, I can't do enough. My best will never be enough. It's attacking our pride. From striving for control to submitting and surrendering control. From I have to be strong to actually salvation and life comes through my admission of my weakness. Because that's when Jesus is strongly admitted and said, I need Jesus. I can't do it myself. From legalism and license to love, on either end of the spectrum, that God's love, my love for God and my love for others, trumps legalism and it trumps License, it's a new way of life. From the pursuit of theological information accumulation to the pursuit and the living out of Jesus changed my heart transformation. From understanding the reality that I no longer live the life I once lived, that my life, my true life, comes only through death. Like Paul writes this in Galatians 2, 20. He says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is I, no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. In the life I now live, as in it's different, in the flesh I live by faith, the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Yes, there's eternal life, but there's a new way here to live on this life. Can you authentically say that, friends? That I have been crucified with Christ. I have been surrendered. My old life is dead. It's gone. 
That's hard for some of us, right? My old pursuits, my old desires, I have chosen to die to them so that I can live through Christ. I want to live his way even when it's not popular. It doesn't make sense. I want to do God's word even when it will bring me harm on my earth. Can you authentically say that? And moving from a posture of scandalous to relative truth, and think about this in today's world, to absolute truth. Our world says truth is what who thinks about it. Me, I want to live what? What's the next phrase? I want to to speak whose truth? My truth. Living for Jesus, being a true disciple, says, no, it's not about my truth. It's about God's truth. I want to live God's truth, not my truth. I want to speak God's truth, not my truth. And may God's truth become my truth. But our pursuit is that the the truth is what I think it is. And to say it isn't, to say that there's a source of absolute morality, which there is, God's word, how's that going to go over in your workplace or on social media? It's not going to go over very well. But are you willing to humble yourself and submit under the authority of God's word that he is the bread of life, that his words have authority, that they give life, and that they should direct our daily lives with humility, with grace? Because that's what it means to be a follower of Jesus. It's the movement from pride-based life to humility. Where do we need to humble ourselves? And again, it's scary because Jesus' own words in Matthew 7 on the Sermon on the Mount, 21 through 23, he says, not everyone who comes to me on that day when you stand before God and we will all have to give an account and say, Lord, Lord, didn't I do this for you and do that for you and do that for you? We'll be able to continue on into heaven. He says, in fact, I will cast many of them away. Why? Because I never knew you personally. Personally. 2 Peter 1 says the reality that God's word grants us all things that pertain to life and godliness. It should direct our daily life. And Man, some of us probably in this room, we call ourselves disciples. We allow others to call us disciples. But if we're authentically honest with ourselves, are you truly a disciple of Jesus Christ? The greatest distance often when it comes to life eternally and, and spirituality is 18 inches from your head to your heart. These folks had listened to Jesus talk. They had literally sat under teachings. Pastor Andrew's a great preacher and teacher. I I do okay a couple times. Don's awesome. We're not Jesus. And if you can sit under the teachings in the presence of Jesus and under the authority of Jesus and listen to the words spoken by Jesus and still go, this is too hard and walk away from Jesus, guess what? You can do that in today's church. Are you? It's not about what you know. It's about who you know. Jesus, even the demons believe, guys. Have you submitted your heart and life? These are hard teachings because it requires us to change, allow Jesus to change our lives, for us to surrender and to die. It's a sobering reality that you can be religious but have no true relationship with Jesus and still experience eternal separation from Jesus. It's a sobering reality that this text teaches that you can be around Jesus and still miss Jesus. You can sit in church all your life and miss Jesus and be cast away by Jesus. And I love you too much to not say that. You can have all the theological information that your, your human brain can accumulate. See, example, Pharisees. But you can have no heart transformation. You can do things for Jesus, even in the name of Jesus, Matthew 7 says, but not have a personal relationship with Jesus. You can sing songs about Jesus, but still not surrender to Jesus. You can wear Christian swag, and you can have church merch, and you can have platitudes and scriptures on coffee cups, but choose not to drink from the eternal life-giving blood of Jesus Christ. Are you? 
right now. Like, be really real. This is a sobering but also life-giving text. Because if you turn away from Jesus, Jesus will turn you away in eternity. And I'm not talking that I was already saved at one point. Great, we believe in eternal security. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying if your life is continuing to refuse ever to surrender, Scripture says, Jesus says, I will cast you away. Matthew 7, 21 through 23. This is hard, isn't it? And we can understand why people turned. The question is, will you follow or will you turn? What shapes your worldview, scripture or social media, the world or the word, the created or the creator, your way or God's way? It's a battle perpetually. It's a spiritual battle. The battlefield is our head and our hearts. Will you surrender to Jesus as king? And this, this, this word from this text, you're like, Please don't dismiss this or fall asleep on it because eternity hangs in the balance. Something like, oh man, I hope my spouse is listening. <laughs> I hope my friend is listening. I wish so-and-so was here. I'm gonna send them this recording because they need a kick in the tail. You know who needs a kick in the tail? I do. And you do. This isn't for anybody out there. It's for all of our hearts in here. Where do, where do you need God to expose? And if, if you have put your faith in the Lord, praise God for that. What are areas in your life that you are not fully submitting and following Jesus as Lord right now? In humility, will you repent and turn to God and allow him to expose it? Or in pride, will you continue to turn away from God? One path is life, one path is destruction. Ask yourself, am I actively surrendering my heart and submitting my life under the authority of God's word? Not just in some places, but every area. Relationships my dating relationships, what I physically do in those relationships, am I submitting my life under the authority of God's word? Politics, how I view politics, how I interact, where my hope is, am I submitting my life and authority under God's word? Governing authorities, am I submitting my life and authority under the God's word? How I handle my money under God's word, how I treat my, my spouse, am I willing to forgive when others hurt me? Am I submitting my heart and life under the authority of God's word? And follow it. Or you're maybe like, I want Jesus, but I, I, did, I just want rubber stamp Jesus, right? I want Jesus to rubber stamp what I want to do. When he doesn't, I'm out. Is that you? I just want validate Jesus. I want him to validate my feelings. If he doesn't, I'm out. I want feel good Jesus. I want jack in the box Jesus. When I need him, I'll crank him up. And when I don't, I'll slam him shut. I want genie in the sky, Jesus. Just give me what I want. I want food. I'm, my belly's full. I'm out. I'll come back when I'm hungry again on my terms. Is that you? Or do you want Lord Jesus? Where he has access to everything. And your greatest desire is it to follow him. Because Jesus himself says this. If you love me, if you genuinely love me, here's an easy test. You will obey my commands. Are you obeying his commands? These disciples grumbled and they turned away from Jesus. Jesus says himself in, in verse 63, it is the spirit who gives life and the flesh has no help at all. You can't earn your salvation no matter in how, in a moral way, an ethical way, an emotional way. It is only the spirit who gives life and the words that I have spoken to you are spirit and they are life. This is life right here. There is no life outside of the word of God. Don't starve yourself. Feast on the bread of life, on Jesus Christ. The word of God is not just information or suggestion. It's the commands of our Lord, and we are called to obey. It's not optional, it's obedience. Where are you? 
Will you trust that Jesus loves you enough to submit your heart to his word? Will you trust that Jesus has his best in mind for you enough to follow his, when you don't like it, when you don't understand it, when the world will, will mock you for it, and maybe you'll lose your job because of it, maybe you'll have to break up with your girlfriend or boyfriend because of it, but will you elevate the word of God, and ultimately, will you elevate Jesus? It's a worship issue. When the teaching is hard, will you follow? Are you following? Where do you need to course correct? Right now, right here. Because the, the words of Jesus offer me eternal life and they direct me in my daily life. The second question for us today is this, will you follow Jesus when other people leave? So Jesus lays this out and in verse 66, after this, many of his disciples turn back, disciples, and no longer walk with him. They left. And that's hard, isn't it? So Jesus said to the 12, the OG disciples, if you would, do you want to go away as well? Put another way, will you still follow? And Peter, being the humble but unashamed leader that he is, said, spoke up, Lord, to whom shall we go? He's like, where else are we going to go? You have the words of eternal life. And we have believed and we have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Praise God for that. It's a declaration of Jesus' divinity, his authority, and that he is the Messiah. That life comes through him. Can I tell you a really hard thing that I have learned is that when you speak the word of God, when you live the word of God, people will leave. You will lose friendships. It will potentially be hard in your family. People will leave the religious organization, the school, or the church that you're a part of. And that is gut-wrenchingly hard. I, you have no idea how many tears that I have shed over this. And how much fear comes, is threatens and does come up in my own heart. of God. If I go there, they're probably going to leave. And I don't want them to leave. So there's a temptation to what? Not go there. But out of love, you have to go there. But you got to do it in love. You can't allow the fear to trump the faith. You have to have faith in the middle of fear. The fear is real. The faith needs to be greater because our God is greater. When other people leave, will you still follow? Or is your following of God a herd mentality? I'll do it if you do it. I'll stay if you stay. These disciples, they weren't true disciples. They, not the original 12, but the ones that left. They came for the show. They hung out for the stuff. They didn't want the Savior. When Jesus said, I am your Savior, they're like, no, I got my fill. We're going to go try and find life elsewhere. Good luck with that. It won't work for you. I've tried. Is that you? You're going to try and find life at the bar, life in the hookup, life in a new job, in a military promotion, life in theological information. There is no life outside of Jesus Christ. But we will try. You will turn away. And ah, this is hard. I don't want to lay down. It's a worship issue. I don't want to lay down this. So I'm going to go try and find life in that. And you will end up destroyed and distraught. That's what God's word teaches over and over and over. The details are different. The timeline's the same. The, the ending is the same. Praise God, no matter how you are right now, there is hope for you and there is life for you if you choose to follow Jesus. When it got hard, Jesus didn't compromise the message in order to build a crowd. How many of us are doing that right now in our culture? He didn't look to appease the culture. He proclaimed the truth because he knew that the people needed the truth, whether they realized it or wanted it or not. He trusted the rest. 
that he with, with himself, with God, with the Holy Spirit. He turns to the 12, do you want to go away as well? And he's looking at you right now. Will you go away as well? Or will you follow? Jesus is looking for faithful followers. He's not looking for fair weather fans. Which one are you? You know what a fair weather fan is? Think about sports. You're like, I got the jersey. My team's winning. When my team isn't winning, guess what? That jersey's in the far back closet. <laughs> I'll go to the game when it's fun and it's exciting and we got a good product and it's entertaining. How many of us treat church like that? I might even reach into my, my back pocket, put a few bills in. I'll get some concessions. I'll buy some merch. I'll support the organization. When they're, they're, they made a free agent purchase I want, or acquisition I like, so I affirm that, so I'll support it. When not, I'm going to take my wallet, my money, and my time, and I'm going to leave. How many of us treat church like that? When you entertain me, I'll come. If you prick my heart, Jesus, I'm out of here because I'm the boss of me. You're not the boss of me. See, it's a lordship issue. You want Jesus your way, on your terms. That's not surrender. You might say you're a disciple. You might walk like a duck, talk like a duck, but you ain't no disciple of a duck, right? You're not. And you will end up experiencing death and destruction. Peter's like, where else would I go? Where are you going right now to try? Where are you finding life? It's not going to work. Life only comes when we get in God's word and we stay in God's word and we walk in God's word. When other people leave, it reveals our hearts. Is my affiliation and affection primarily for people? Or is it for my master? I, I believe with all my heart, and I, we, we've lived it, we've even, all of us have, right? Yeah, the last four years, the pandemic has just brought out and exposed in a lot of ways, are you a true disciple or not? It's not just the pandemic. It's how do you view racism? How do you view politics, Christian nationalism, views on abortion, sexuality, gender, like you name it. And the question burgeoning is, will you go into God's word to get your worldview about it? Or were you turning to the world? Will you obey God's word about it? Or will you compromise the culture? What are you doing? If other people probably will leave if you go into God's word or if you're sitting across a coffee bar in a, in a discipling conversation or you're having a text stream and you want to point into God's word and you're I don't know, they might not like it. They might break off the friendship. Will you still lovingly point them to Jesus or will you compromise? None of us are perfect. It's a pursuit. Praise God for his grace. But will you? in love, because we believe that the, God's word is the source of life, that Jesus is life. So to point them or to not, to not point them to life is not loving, even if they don't see it or understand it or like it. Don't follow the crowd, follow Christ, are you? Don't follow culture, follow Christ, are you? If you've stopped following Jesus, I'm so glad you're here. I pray that you will turn back to Jesus and we wanna walk with you. We are imperfect people pursuing a perfect savior. There is grace here because we all need it on a daily basis. The stats speak for themselves over the last few decades. It's now as a survey of last year, 2023, 64% of Americans call themselves Christians and it's, margin, it's less, way less than that who are actually disciples, down from 90%, right? It's not cool to be a Christian anymore, is it? Not popular. Following Jesus, though, elevates Christ over popularity. 
and everything else. It's worship, it's exaltation and the magnification of Jesus Christ and Christ, all else. It's trusting that the God's word is sufficient in every season and situation, like Paul writes about that in 1 Timothy 3, 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. God's way is not ours, God's righteousness is not ours, so that the man of God may be competent and equipped for every good work. Praise God for that. What does it look like to follow and submit to the word of God in everyday life? It means this. It means one, grow in it. You gotta seek it. You gotta learn it. None of us have arrived. So Colossians 2, 6, and 7 is really helpful here. After you have come to know the Christ, you need to become rooted in it. You need to become established in it so that you can know what it says, so you can know what, how to apply it, so that you can stand in the storms, that your roots grow deeper in God's word. You will stand when the winds and the waves of the storms get bigger and better. You need to seek it. What do I mean by seek it? I mean, when a situation arises, is my first response, not what do I feel about it, not what does my friends think, think about it, but what does God's word say about it? Seek it for direction that it is. It is your guide. It is your direction. And the Holy Spirit is our tour guide. He leads us into truth. John 16 says, it's great. Jesus says, it's better that I leave so that you can have the Holy Spirit living inside you. He will lead you into truth. Are you seeking God's truth for every little and big decision in your life or not? And after you seek it, will you elevate it? By elevating, I mean God's way is not mine. I don't like it. I don't see it. I don't get it. What do you mean you want me to have a different job? It's not as much money. God's like, trust me. Step out. Trust me. Leave, trust me. Worship, trust me. Go, trust me. Stay, trust me. Forgive, trust me. Will you believe in Jesus enough to actually live his word or not? And after we elevate it, we need to apply it. That, we need to obey it. We need to live it. And frankly, we just need to, as Nike would say, just do it. It's not just Nike, it's James chapter one. Be doers of the word, not just hearers. Just do it. Sometimes we overcomplicate things, don't we? Even when it's hard. And we need to be willing to speak it and say it when we know it's going to cost something. Because Jesus is greater, He's sovereign and sufficient. When you're in a discipling conversation or relationship as a brother or sister of Christ, this is the beauty of Christian community, is it not? that we have people in our lives, this is a mutual ministry, that we will point people to God's word, that we will pursue people that are straying apart from God's word. I remember being a step two not that long ago, and Pastor Andrew was answering somebody's question, but what, what's the point of church membership? Man, this is a beautiful part of it, is it not? That we will lovingly pursue people that have stepped outside of God's word. And we will mutually hold each other accountable, that we will mutually submit to God's word and to each other with a heart of humility that God is greater than us, this is why we preach expositorily, exegetically, verse by verse. Because we're going to go verse by verse. Why are you preaching about divorce? Because God's word says it, and that's the next thing in this gospel. We're not cherry-picking topics. We're not using the Bible as a thumper. But we want to preach the whole counsel of God's word because we believe in it, because we believe it's life, because Jesus says it's life, amen? And we want to live it. We're not going to run from it. That's why it's a pillar in the church. And we have several hard conversations, but it's so unloving to not. And you got to trust God with it. But you don't just want to be God-honoring in the text that you go to, but you also want to be in those conversations God-honoring in the tone. You want to apply God's word biblically, not just with the words that are said or the decision to be made, but the heart posture towards the other person. What I mean by this is when we have these conversations, when we speak the words of truth, we want to do it, as the Bible says, with gentleness and respect, with love and with patience 
with a posture of humility that I am a sinner and as much in need of a savior as you are, that I don't have it figured out. But I want to point you just like I need you to point me to God and his grace. So when it's hard and other people leave or they threaten to leave, or you think they might leave, the church, your personal relationship with them, will you follow? Follow God and follow his word. Are you? Is there a conversation that you need to have? And frankly, get your heart posture in the right place of humility, not to just give these conversations, but frankly, to receive them. So that your heart is soft, so that when someone expectedly or unexpectedly comes to you and goes, hey, brother, hey, sister, can I talk to you about this? Can you help me understand from God's word why you made this decision, how you're acting this way? Are you open to how, how, how I see you acting in the fruit of your life? It's not consistent with God's word, that you won't just be defensive. You'll be like, thank you. Let's pray about that. Let's process that. Because the great commandment needs to flows out, the great commission flows out of the great commandment. The great commandment loves God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, loves others as ourselves, and then that leads to the great commission, which is to make disciples. We want to make disciples, right? Which is and then part of making disciples is all authority has been given to head, given to me by Jesus in heaven and on earth to make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father and Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey some of the commandments that are just convenient at the time culturally that I've given you. Right? That's what it says. No, it says teaching to observe all the t- commandments of Jesus. So to be a disciple maker, we must teach others, all others, to, tr- to follow all of the teachings of Jesus, even the hard ones. Will you follow? And don't ap- you won't need to apologize for it. I love what Spurgeon said. We don't need to figure it out. Our job is to be faithful. Spurgeon says this, the word of God is like a lion. You don't have to defend a lion. All you have to do is let the lion loose and the lion will what? Defend itself. With love, with grace, with a heart posture, how you would want someone else to come to you, how Jesus comes to others, we should approach others. So because Jesus has the words of life, the words of life offer me eternal life and direct me my daily life, the third and final question for us is this, will you follow when the cost is high? We see that the cost is significant, do we not? Peter says, I will follow, and Jesus says, you know what, in verse 70, did I not choose you, you 12, and yet one of you is a devil? He spoke of Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, for he, one of the 12, was going to betray him. At the end of the day, everything in life that we do is a cost, we run a cost-benefit analysis for. You might not realize it, but we do, don't we? Is, is this test worth the time that I'm going to put into study for? It? Is this $2 or $5 happy, uh, dollar menu thing at McDonald's, which is crazy, the dollar menu now costs like four bucks, right? Is it worth it, the taste of it, to invest my money in it? Is it worth it to have this conversation? Like everything we do is a cost-benefit analysis. Should I take a nap or should I mow the lawn? Hmm. (laughs) Or do both at the same time. That might not be safe. But here's the reality. Following Jesus is the same thing. It's a question of worship and worth. And worship is worth. Is Jesus worth it to follow him? Peter's like, Lord, we're in. And Jesus is like, okay. But even one of you, and Peter spoke for the whole group. One of you, Jesus says, is gonna betray me. And Peter, he didn't say this, but Peter's gonna deny him. Praise God again, it's a pursuit. It's not perfection. Peter is making a heartfelt declaration, but even he would fall short. The cost at points in Peter's life would get too high. The emotions would run too hot. 
to follow Jesus. He's in the garden right after he prayed with Jesus and right before Jesus was getting arrested, Peter's like, I'm ticked off that you're doing this over my dead body. He takes out a knife and cuts off the servant's ear, right? That's disobeying the commands of Jesus. Jesus heals the ear because he's full of grace. A few hours later, Peter's like, after recently saying, no, Jesus, I'll never deny you. Peter looks at, denies Jesus, not just once, not just twice, but how many times? Three, because he was afraid for his own life. The cost was too high in that moment. He chose not to follow, but God and his, Jesus and his grace still looked at him and he still died for him anyway. Praise God, amen. And later after his death, when they were re- reconciled and Jesus restored him. When they were back together, Jesus forgave him. And he said, you, you got a job to do. Praise God for his grace. And none of us get it perfect all the time. But the question is, do not do we get it perfect, but are we pursuing it? Are we committed to it? Will we live it? I love what one of my spiritual heroes, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, talks about grace, costly or not. He says, such grace of God is costly because it costs us to follow. And it is grace because it causes us to cause us to follow Jesus Christ. It is costly because it costs a man his life. And it is grace because it gives the man the only true life. It is costly because it condemns sin and grace because it justifies the sinner. Above all, it is costly because it cost God the life of his son. You were bought at a price and what has cost God much cannot be cheap to us. Above all, it is grace because grace, God did not reckon his son too dear a price to pay for our life, but delivered him up for us. Costly grace is the incarnation of God. Will you follow when the cost is high? Will you follow when the cost is your life? Will you follow when you know others will leave you and betray you? I love what Jesus is doing here. He's like, will you follow me? I'm gonna pour into you. I'm gonna disciple you. I know one of you is gonna betray me, but I will still love you. The cost is worth it to me. To be betrayed, I will still die for you. Peter, you yourself, Jesus doesn't say it here, but Jesus knows you're gonna deny me. And maybe you're like, I need to leave the church. I can't be at the church because people betray me and they deny me. Welcome to the life of Jesus Christ. Will you still love them anyway? Will you still give them grace anyway? Will you still follow Jesus? Because Jesus isn't, doesn't just set the standard. He is the standard. He is the teacher to which we are aspiring. So if he gives grace to those he know will betray him and those he knows will deny him, we need to do the same. We need to actively allow ourselves to be sinned against, not run into a buzzsaw, but when it happens, let's let's temper our expectations. We will be sinned against and we will sin against others. Praise God for the cross, amen. Will we follow Jesus? Will we submit to his word? Will we follow his path? Where do you need to do that in your life right now? Are you? Will you? Life is available because Jesus came and died on a cross to pay for the sins that he didn't commit, but we did, but we couldn't pay for. He took our sin upon himself and he gave us his righteousness. He was crucified on a cross and three days later, God rose him from the dead. He paid for our Christ cross of sin and then he declared victory over sin. Praise God, amen. He walked with people that despised him and left him and rejected him and denied him. He loved them anyway. He spoke the truth of God's word to them anyway. He lavished grace and he spoke truth. He is full of grace and full of truth. Are we? Will we? Where do you need to follow? At work, are you consistent with being a true disciple? At home, how you text, how you post on social media, how you interact with your significant other, how you raise your kids, how you interact with church. Are you a consistent, authentic, true follower, disciple of Jesus Christ or not? What needs to change? Where do you need to repent? Where do you need to take a next step? 
because Jesus himself said these words in Matthew chapter seven. He says, enter by the narrow gate for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those that enter it, enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life. And those who find it are few. Friends, may we be willing to do the hard, right, God-honoring, biblical thing so that we might experience true life here on earth and that others might experience eternal life for all of eternity. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you so much for who you are. We thank you for your grace and your mercy. We thank you for your love. We thank you for the cross. And we just ask that you would just come in these moments and pour out your mercy and grace upon us. We need you, Jesus, and we love you. These are hard teachings, but they are hope-giving teachings because they point us to life. They point us to you. Forgive us for these places that we have searched for significance in life outside of you. Jesus, nothing can satisfy but you. No one can pay for our sins except you. Thank you, Jesus, for the cross. Thank you for the costly grace with which you modeled, with which you lived, and with, with which you teach us and train us. And may we choose to follow you in that way. May we embrace your grace and experience salvation. And may we choose to walk in that grace and demonstrate your grace and be the conduit of that grace for our own sanctification so that others might experience salvation or others experience sanctification. May we cling to your truth. May we love your truth. May we live your truth. May we speak your truth. May we have our identity in your truth because your words are those of eternal life, Jesus. Your, your spirits, your words are life. May we magnify you. May we elevate you. May we worship you. We love you, Jesus. In your name we pray, amen.